If you'll join with me, our scripture reading for today is Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. And so one of the best parts of that announcement was the cafe reopening. Because my favorite, one of, not my favorite, one of my favorite things about preaching at Regen is getting a cappuccino before, like, Doug, you know this, right? I go in there, I get a cappuccino, it's my pregame, and then I'm ready to preach. So I'm excited about cappuccino before I preach again. But good morning. It is good to see you all, and I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad that Pastor Albert is able to take this sabbatical, and I'm just, just praying and hopeful he can have a wonderful, uh, just fantastic time away with his family. And I'm really glad to get to hang out with you all for the next several weeks. There's a couple reasons I'm really glad and kind of honored just to be here and to be able to teach and preach for a while. One of them is that I just think this is a special church and there are a lot of wonderful, beautiful inside and out people here. Like I just think there's some sincere, earnest Jesus followers in our midst who... um, are kind and gracious and really want to grow and learn and really want to have community. And I just love so many people here. So I'm really glad to connect, to reconnect with a lot of you who I respect um, and appreciate. And I think this is really a special place. Other reason I'm really glad to be here and to preach is that, um, you know, Pastor Albert asked me, he said, hey, what if you did a series on spiritual formation type of things before we do this partnership with Fuller Seminary later? And when he said that, I was like, oh, I'm in. Like that, I love thinking about spiritual formation or discipleship. Um, how do we grow? Like, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to integrate what Jesus taught into our life and to grow and let God transform us into new people kind of from the inside out? I'm really passionate about that and intrigued by that and have spent most of my adult life kind of thinking, reading, studying about that. So I'm excited to get to go through a series on formation. How do, how do we let God transform us into new people? Um, I mean, it's the title of our church, right? Regeneration. How do, how do we let God regenerate us into new human beings? So I am really excited about that. Um, if I don't know you, I, I'd love to say hi. There's a few of you I don't know at all. I would love to just say hello to some of you um, after the service, okay? Um, would you pray with me? And then we're going to jump in. Dear God, thank you. You are good. God, you are good and your love is so good towards us. God, I just ask that in this moment in time, God, I don't know what is going through the minds, the hearts of every person here in this room. We all have different things stressing us out, different things we're worried about, different things we're excited about. 
But God, I ask that in this moment, may we sense your love. May we sense your care. Um, may we trust you with our lives. God, I just ask that you would help us to take a breath this morning. God, may you speak to us this morning through this text and these ideas about following you and these beautiful words of Jesus. God, may you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I have a question for you. And you don't have to answer out loud because we're not in school. A lot of kids just started school. My kids are in school and they have all these different reviews of all their teachers and it's fascinating and hilarious and funny and exciting all at the same time. So I'm going to ask you a question, but you don't have to answer it out loud. You can just answer it in your head. But I do want you to, to wrestle with it this morning and to try to answer it really honestly to yourself. And maybe, you'll, maybe you can talk to someone who's close to you who you can be honest with after this. Okay? But here is the question. Who is your teacher? Like, who is your teacher for life? Not in a classroom, although a classroom teacher might be a, a teacher you look up to and, and affects your life. But who is your teacher who teaches you how to live? Or probably who are the many teachers who you actually listen to to really discern how do I actually live my life and think about all the things going on in the world and myself and my family? Like, who teaches you actually like what's right and wrong? Like, who actually teaches you what to believe? Like, who actually, in practical terms, teaches you how to spend your time or how to spend your money, right? Or how to approach your job or how to approach social media or, or how, to, how to live with your sexuality or how to live with money. Like, who actually, in real life, teaches you those things? Because I would argue that somebody is teaching us, right? Like somebody is informing how we actually make real life decisions in our bodies, with our money, in our days. Like you, we're all reading something, watching something, listening to something, right? That is kind of informing our worldview and how we actually interact with the world and how we actually think about and live in all the little realities of life. So it could be a famous person, it could be an author, it could be a teacher, it could be a family member, it could be a spouse, it, it could be a father or mother, it could be a therapist, could be a life coach, could be a boss, a friend, someone in your home group, but, but somebody is teaching you how to actually live in this world and how to actually think about all the tricky things that come across your plate in a given day. And, and I'm going to make what may seem like an incredibly obvious statement, so obvious that you're like, this guy should just go now, this is going to be boring. But I'm going to make an incredibly obvious statement, but I want to challenge us with this. And that is that Jesus is the wisest, most intelligent, most insightful teacher of life in the history of the world. Amen? Amen. Okay, good. I got a slight pause there. You scared me. Okay, so yes, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is high priest, and a lot of other titles we could give Jesus. But today, I want to I challenge you, implore us, that can we look at Jesus also as the greatest teacher of life in the history of the world? And the life teacher that we actually need to look to as we wrestle with the really hard realities of living a human life in the world. And then I'm going to ask you this question. So if, if Jesus is the greatest, wisest teacher of life in the history of the world, do we actually 
Think like that. Act like that. Live like that. Look to Jesus for the greatest questions of our day. Do we actually take our cues for how to think about our life and how we live from Jesus? Or do we take our cues somewhat from a million other teachers, many of whom might be good, some of whom might be bad, some of whom might just be trying to build their brand to make money by more hits on YouTube or Instagram, right? But there are people trying to influence us in different ways. But we have this epic, perfect, inspiring teacher named Jesus. And Jesus taught frequently. Jesus taught in front of large crowds, and Jesus taught to a handful of disciples. Jesus delivered on the edge of the Sea of Galilee what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. Some would call it like a greatest hits collection of Jesus' teachings, kind of put in one segment that he delivered on the side of the Sea of Galilee, just up on the hill so people could hear him. And it was his disciples, and then the crowds came. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I want to read this again. Jesus delivers this, this epic collection of teachings about how to be a human on the planet Earth. And then he says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So Jesus starts off by saying, anyone who hears these words and then does them, so I want to implore us this morning, church, let us hear the words of Jesus that we have right here. For some of us who may have heard these words a million times, sometimes the scriptures or even the words of Jesus can be like white noise because we've heard it so many times and it's like, yeah, blessed are the thing and the thing, yeah, and be honest. And, and we've heard it so many times that sometimes it can just be like, yeah, God, I've heard that, uh-huh. But I, I want to challenge us this morning. Some of us may need fresh ears, fresh ears to say, look at the gold we have here. Look at the beauty, look at the truth that we have in the teachings of Jesus that can guide us. And to look at it as like this amazing treasure we have that can inform all these great questions of our day. So may God give us ears to hear Jesus' teaching. May we listen to Jesus as if he is the greatest master teacher of all time. So to, to get into this illustration, I think in some ways it's simple, right? If you build a house on a rock, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to stand up. If you build a house on the sand, like I'm picturing a beach. That's where I like to see sand, at least on a beach. I'm picturing, like, yeah, you don't build a house there. Like even I know that. I don't know about houses. It's, it's going to fall. I don't know a lot about houses, but I'm going to tell you a, a quick story that resonates with me, hopefully with you, around the idea of building your house on something sturdy. Um, and it actually, the story actually happened right there past that wall. Right there past that wall, one day I was sitting there stressing about owning a hundred-year-old house and, and not being good at fixing it and not knowing what in the world was happening in my house. And my wife had been asking me very patiently for about three years, we need to get a pest inspector 
Because what if we have termites or whatever, whatever, we don't do enough inspections because we're cheap and frugal or somewhere in the mix of cheap and frugal. And like, can you please get a pet? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a pest inspector. And then like, you know, three years later, honey, we don't know if our house is falling apart. It's 100 years old. We never have anybody to look at it. Like, we need a pest. Yeah, I, I'm going to get it on my list. And I'm sitting back there, and a dear friend named Billy was back there, who used to work here. And Billy said, Nate, there's like this pest inspector guy. You know, so he's going to be over here. And I said, he is. I said, Billy, can I, you think, can, can I meet him? Because I've been putting off getting somebody to come to my house. So Billy says, yeah, he's great. He comes here. You know, he's got his full blue, like, full blue suit thing, you know, all, all geared up. And he says, oh, hi. He says, oh, you're a pastor here? Oh, I would love to take care of you. I'll, like, I'll come this week. I won't charge you. Let me, just let me look. And I'm like, this is such a relief. Thank you. Comes to my house. I go, here's how you get under my house. It goes under my house. I'm thinking, oh, great. I hope I don't have termites because that would be, you know, a pain and, you know, expensive. And he comes back out. He has the weirdest look on his face. Like, he's nervous and doesn't know what to say look, which you don't want to see in this scenario, Right. And he has this look, and we're on my front porch, I can picture it, and he says, um, Pastor Nate, can we talk? And I'm like, oh no, like I got termites, I've already eaten the whole underside of my house, like it's done, it's all my fault. He says, oh, well good news, you have good news. Okay, good news. You have no termites or anything like that. There's no pest, it's I don't even know how. Like your house is 100 years old, the wood's great. I'm like, awesome, thank you. Then he just pauses. So, and I can tell he's nervous, right? He's just stressed. Like, I don't know how to say this. He goes, I have a question for you. Do you have some equity in your house? I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Um, so, well, Pastor Nate, um, you should move. Like, you should just move now. Like, if you have any chance, if you can do that, you should just move. You want to move? Where do you want to move? I think you should just move. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How did we get to moving? I'm like, no, I moved here intentionally to this neighborhood. Like, there's, like, there's reason. I can't just move. Okay, well, your foundation is shot. Like, it's garbage. It's done. I just put a pen through it, and it just disintegrates. Like, you, it's dangerous, and you need to get out of your house right now or get a new, found, or you need a new foundation. It's not safe. It's dangerous. It's all going to fall. It's really bad. You should just move, man. Like, just, you could move to, like, Vallejo or, like, you know, move Brentwood. You should move. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what is happening? Where did this come from? So he says, you, you have to get a new foundation right now. So you need to get estimates, get somebody to come out to look at your foundation. Now, I don't like spending money. And I like living simply and not having to spend money. It's just I have a way that I live, right, that works. And so I immediately go into this mode of, like, what are we going to do? And I'll spare you the personal details of money and, you know, how that ended up. But I had a bunch of contractors come. They looked at my house. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. Like, we're fine. You know, we've been fine in the house for 10 years. Like, it's probably going to be fine. But the reality was... I like my kids, and I don't, when the earthquake hits, like, I don't want us to collapse into the whatever, right? Or, like, he said, oh, you probably just pop off the foundation, and you'll, maybe you won't fall, it'll just, like, pop off and go like this in the big earthquake, because you, no, you have no foundation. It's, like, it's trash. It's, like, sand. It's garbage. So we had to go say, what are we going to do in our life, right, to afford this? Like, are we going to, you know, do this or that? Are we going to have to really do dramatic stuff? And I, di I didn't want to. Like, I didn't want to think about my life and what I would have to do to get a foundation, but I did it because I care about my kids, right? Like, I care about my family, my house. So I had to go to kind of drastic measures to say, how do we afford this? How do we get a new foundation? Because I actually don't want to fall over into nothingness because I know this now. But I, I had to, like, really take action on it because I did not want my house to fall down. And Jesus says, I'm going to lay this out for you. You can build your house over here on rock, 
and you're going to be okay. You can build it on the sand, and you're actually not going to be okay, because a storm is going to come. Amen? Some of you have had storms in life. The storm is going to come. Like, the pain is going to come. The, the loss is going to come. The confusion is going to come to your life. And Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you follow this, I'm going to teach you how to live, and, and you're going to be able to make sense of this. You're going to get through it. I can show you the ways, but it's going to take some, take some effort. It's going to take some thoughtfulness to, to build your life in this kind of way with my teachings. But the storm is going to come eventually. Like the earthquake is going to come eventually to California, right? Someday it's going to come. And there's all these teachers who can tell us how to make sense of it, right? So like we can withstand the storm. I, I made a, a random list. You know, like there's Malcolm Gladwell and Marie Kondo and Brene Brown and Seth Godin and Oprah Winfrey and Anthony Bourdain and Steph Curry and David Goggins and Dave Ramsey and Dwayne Johnson and Will Smith and Barack Obama and like lots of other people who say really good things. Well, some of them. Some of, I think some of them say garbage, but some of them say really good things, right? And it's like, oh, that's interesting about how to use my body or how to cook or how to think or how to finance. And it's, it's good. But, but I want to say again, we have a master teacher with the master class who said, I'm going to tell you about life. Here you go. In many Bible translations, we'll see that Jesus is often called teacher. They come up to him, they say either rabbi or they say teacher, tell us about this. Because in his context, Jesus was known as a rabbi or a teacher. And a rabbi would find some disciples and say, I'm going to call you, I'm going to, they were called Talmudim, I'm going to teach you all the scriptures, I'm going to teach you how to worship God, and I'm going to teach you how to live. And in those days, there was a saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So the idea was, as the rabbi was walking from town to town on a dusty road with sandals, you wanted to be so close to your rabbi that the dust from the sand kicking up in the feet was just covering you. And that was like a badge of honor. I am covered in the dust of my rabbi. That's how closely I follow my rabbi. Like physically, mentally, emotionally, I follow the rabbi. This dust is all over me. 1 John 5, 1 through 3 says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now this verse is talking about not just Jesus, but the commandments in Scripture. But I want to point out the end of this. His commandments are not burdensome. Jesus did not give us commands to lay a burden on us. These commands are not meant to make us sad and depressed and to be some big weight we got to carry and hold a bunch of shame. That's not the idea. His commandments are not burdensome. In fact, Jesus talks about having a yoke that is light, a yoke that fits us, not that's a heavy burden on us. So these teachings are not meant just to lay up hard things. My kids go to school and sometimes they talk about those teachers that just give you a bunch of hard busy work and it doesn't, have you ever had that in a class? It's like, I don't know why I have this hard busy work. It makes no sense. It just feels like they want me to feel the pain of doing two hours of homework. I don't know why, I just have to. That's not Jesus. He's giving us commandments, giving us teaching 
and saying, it's not a burden. I am giving you the way to a healthy life with God, making sense of this life. And yes, some of the teachings are hard in the short term. Like, do I want to go reconcile with somebody all the time? I personally don't. Right? Jesus says, go, when you make your gift at the altar, go reconcile with your brother first and then come back. I don't always want to do that. I, I personally don't like conflict. I have to muster the energy to do that. But I've learned if I put this teaching of Jesus into practice, it actually makes my life work a lot better. It's hard in the moment, but that's actually, Jesus actually knew what he was talking about. When you put these things into practice, it actually helps your life make sense. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This teaching of Jesus does not come from a kind of God who is detached from us, who does not know what we're going through, who can't identify with what we're going through. We are taught by one who actually sympathizes with what we are going through. I think that's really important to know. These commands come from Jesus. This teaching comes from Jesus who knew what it was like to be hungry, to be tired, to be lonely, to have to face things that he didn't really want to face, to be betrayed by your friends. This Jesus knows the human experience and how it is hard. And this Jesus sympathizes with us, loves us, cares about us, and gives us this teaching to know how to live. One more scripture from Paul, Ephesians 4.14. And Ephesians 4, I think you've been going through Ephesians as a church. Ephesians 4 talks about all that Jesus accomplished on the cross and how it enables us to become new people and how it enables us to be a body of Christ and that we, we all help each other then grow into the fullness of Christ. And in chapter 4.14, Paul uses some phrases. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, Paul knew and, and Jesus knew that life can be really confusing. Can I get an amen? amen. Like, life can be really difficult. It's hard and it's painful. And there are moments when we're like, I don't know if this is right or that is right, and I think I should do this, I think I should do that. And this is hard, and, and, and I'm trying to figure out, like, do I date this person? Do I break up with them? Do I, you, do I buy this? Do I believe this about this political thing? Like, what, what, do I, what is there? And Paul and Jesus write about, like, like yes, you're going to be confused, but you need to be grounded in something. To, to be grounded in God, to be grounded in Jesus' teaching so you can face the very confusing realities and the waves that will hit us. Because we live in this era of too much information. There is so much information that is flying at us every day. So much information, so many competing ideas flying at us. And no matter what your cultural slash political beliefs really are, I think we could all agree that there is a lot of news and ideas that come across that are not true, amen? There's a lot of things that float around that just aren't true. Sometimes we have to figure out, like, who do we trust? Is it Snopes? Like, do we trust that? Do we trust, like, right? Do we trust Facebook to flag it for us? Like, who do we trust to figure out what we actually do 
with big information, like who do we, I heard like, no, no, don't, I, I'm saying like, no, don't trust, don't trust that. Like, but, but like, who do we trust when life gets really confusing? Who do we actually look to? Like when I'm driving my kids to school and I see a homeless encampment and I try to figure out how to talk about, to my kids about this reality in our town. Like how do I, what's my starting point for that discussion, right? When I'm wrestling with COVID and masks and the Delta variant and my friends or family who think differently than me about it, right? When I, when I drive up to Idaho and nobody wears a mask, my kids go, why don't they wear, wear a mask in this town? But they do in our town. I don't understand. Like life is really confusing sometimes. So what's our starting point for making sense of how do we live? What's our, what's our grounding of how to live when we think about these things? What if we started with the Sermon on the Mount? Like, what if? What if we started with Jesus saying, these people are actually blessed, the ones who were left out? What if we started with Jesus saying, let me tell you about honesty. Let, let, let me tell you about judging others. Let me tell you about love. Let me tell you about reconciliation. Let me tell you about greed. Like, let, let, let me tell you how to think about the human experience. What if we started there as we had to wrestle with these difficult things about how to live? Okay, two, two more verses. We're going to close in a minute. Two more writings from Paul. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our mind is important. And what influences our mind shapes us, what we think about, who we listen to, who helps us discern. And Paul writes out in a lot of different ways, like you got to get grounded in something so you can discern what is good. You've got to get your mind on things that are good and pure and beautiful to renew your mind so that you can face these things and have good discernment inside of you. So I'm going to close with an idea for us. And it's kind of a, it's a what if. And I want, I, wanna, I want you to hear this in an invitational way and not a demanding or, or shame-based way. What if we read the Sermon on the Mount so much that it just became ingrained in us that when we faced these things, that was like our default of how to, of how to face the realities in our world. And I'm going to invite us into an experiment and I use the, you're going to hear me use the, experiment, the word experiment probably several times over the next three and a half months. So I'm going, to say, I'm going to kind of tell you why I use the word experiment a lot. For one thing, experiment connotates trying something or doing something, right? Like not just listening, but actually saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to see how this would work in real life. I'm going to see if I can integrate this into like life on Monday and Tuesday. So I use the word experiment because there, there's some kind of action connected to it. I also use the word experiment because it's a little more playful than saying, here is the command your pastor gives you, or here is, the, here is your job for this week. It's a little more playful and a little more gentle than that. Like, what if we tried something and we could just see what Jesus would do with it? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out an experiment for us. The experiment of the week. 
what if we all read the Sermon on the Mount once a day this week and we ask God to transform us through the reading? Like, just what if, right? Like, you're not going to get in trouble if you don't. <laughs> There's no homework you turn into me next Sunday, but that would be funny if I, like, tried that, right? Like, turn in your, like, you know, turn in your assignment of your, your, your reflection paper on it. So there's none of that. So there's no guilt trip, right? There's no shame in not doing it. But what if, like, just, just think about it. What if you made time, maybe by yourself, but maybe with a, a friend or a partner or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or uh, uh, some of the people in your home group? or your family, maybe your biological family, or your roommate, or, or somebody. What if you just said, like, we're going to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 together, and maybe we can't do once a day, it's just too much. Maybe we'll do half of it. Maybe we'll do a third of it today. But what if you decided, we're going to read this every day, and we're going to really, like, have a thought of, okay, God, what are you teaching me? So now as I go through this day and this week, like, like what do you want to show me in this that informs how I live this week and how I feel about the things that I live this week? I was thinking about, I, I told my, my family we're doing this already. I was like, it's not optional. So I, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going from dad mode to coach Nate mode yesterday to pastor Nate mode today, and my family is in on the experiment. So I, I told them they're in, and they were like, huh? Okay, sure. But my first thought was, man, for, for some of us, uh, like the Delta variant and life and the economy it, like, is worrisome. I have kids at school, and it's like every day we get an email, like, oh, someone in your school had... COVID, so we're just giving you this, but they can still go tomorrow. And it's like, what? I don't, what does that mean? Like, I don't, <laughs> but I'm thinking about the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about anxiety and worry, and Jesus talks about trust. Jesus lays it out in this beautiful, poetic way, talking about lilies of the field and the birds of the air. So my invitation to you, an experiment, what if you read the Sermon on the Mount this week, once a day or as much as you could, and what if you even did it with somebody else? And what if you just thought, like, what would it look like to do that? And could God transform my mind or begin to transform me into a new human who can then see everything around me from a little different lens and be grounded in the teachings of Jesus as I approach this messy life that we're going to face this week? Okay? I'm going to pray. Close this up. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I just want to thank you that we have these teachings. God, may we be grateful that we have a master class on how to live, on our emotions and how we interact with other humans and on real life stuff. We have the teaching. So God, we, we thank you. And, and God, I, I just ask that as a church, may we have... An attitude just of expectation, God, of trust that you can transform us. You can mold us. You can renew us, renew our minds and renew how we live. God, because you are powerful and you are good and you love us. So God, I ask that you would just continually, God, renew us. God, teach us. God, make us new. Amen. So this morning... We're going to move into a time of worship and communion. If you need a communion element, I've got one right here. Uh, why don't you raise your hand, and Stephanie has some um, in that box right there. 
So as she passes those out, just keep your hand up if you need one. As she passes those out, I'm going to read from Mark 14. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So if you want to take this now, go ahead. If you want to take a moment and sing and pray first and then take it as we begin to sing, go ahead. <laughs> 